Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another great episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who's listened uh, throughout this uh, year of 2020. What a crazy year it's been. I was just talking to our guests that we're going to have on about 160 plus days of just weirdness, you know, uh, super excited. We're recording the show on the 1st of October and uh, I'm really excited because my kids finally getting go, getting to go back to school uh, and get some interaction. Uh, you, you listeners who listen to the show, you guys know. I have a I have a daughter. She's an only child, and uh, it's really hard to do at home learning and at home education when there's no social interaction with any other children. And you know the neighbor kids and them that live down the road. They used to come over and hang out. Their parents are so afraid of COVID, they won't let their children out of the house. And you know nobody's in the street riding scooters and bicycles and roller skates or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, you know it's kind of sad. You know, kind of sad, but. Uh, Things are starting to shape up here in Arizona where we're at, so that's fantastic. We're getting lower cases and lower, uh, 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 higher tested, higher tests, lower number of cases, so that's been good. Schools are starting to open back up, so we're excited. And I'm also excited to talk to uh, our guest that we have on today. Uh, what an interesting story. I mean, you know, talk about uh, going and starting your own thing with like a couple of bucks in your pocket and uh, and not really knowing what you want to do, how you want to get there. Uh, uh, because as you guys know, with any business, especially with a brand new business to get started, it takes capital. You know, it takes money to start a business. It takes uh, a lot of gumption to start a business. Uh, we always talk about uh, the idea of, you know, stepping off the plank of entrepreneurism into the waters of the unknown. And uh, that's exactly what our guest did. So uh, a big shout out to Brent Weaver, our guest, for joining us today. This guy had a bank balance of $3 and grew his digital agency to seven figures a year while managing more than 300 active clients, including Dish, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, and Adobe. Big shout out to Adobe. I couldn't do my job without those guys. Uh, as the founder and CEO of Ujuris, he creates educational programs that help digital agency owners get more leads, secure more deals, drive additional revenue. We all like revenue, increase profits, and achieve freedom in business and life. Hey, Brent, welcome to the show, man. Ryan, thanks for having me, man. I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm just an absolute tech nerd and i'll give you an example my website literally across the top of it says ryan treasure technophile right uh and that, that's that's me i dabble in you know all sorts of different fun things whether it be you know social media marketing search engine optimization pay-per-click you know audio video editing all those fun things and so uh, it's always great to speak to another person who you know works in the creative space especially uh in in in, uh, in the agency space uh and so Thanks for being on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I definitely relate of being kind of a, a nerd and into the tech <laughs> stuff. I think when I was in, in high school, I uh, I built my first website when I was 15. And you have to understand this is back in 1996. Uh, we would uh, we would build websites with, uh, you know, with with uh, 
flint and uh, and sticks. We'd we'd rub them together really fast, and then a website would come up. Um, and I think that was something that I uh, I struggled with in the early days of my business. Like I knew the tech really well. I knew how to build stuff. I was a tinkerer, but I really didn't know how to run my business, and that created all sorts of problems for me. Yeah, you know, um, and and that that's I think a lot of the a lot of the challenges for a lot of new businesses when they start up is uh, you have a really good idea of what you want to do and you have good good idea for product lines and, and all those types of things. It's the business element of the thing that you know really jumps in as a hurdle. And you know, we've done a bunch of interviews with uh, you know folks who are part of Robert Kiyosaki's uh, uh, advisory group in multiple instances of you know whether it be you know tax planning strategies for your business or um, whether it be, you know, going out and trying to do a round of uh, funding or earning some uh, capital or whatever the case may be to get businesses rolling. And that's, that's, that's the hardest part about business is the business side. I mean, the, the portion of, you know, being creative or, you know, coming up with great solutions for companies for them to grow their businesses, you know, that's all the fun stuff. It's when you get into the weeds of the, you know, staying in the black and not getting in the red and how do we make sure that you have uh, a, a cash flow coming in? Because as you know, cash flow is king for running a business business and it's all of those parts that are really the most difficult yeah dude totally i think a lot of early entrepreneurs i know myself for certain before i was really focused on uh or before i had the experience of being an entrepreneur i thought a lot of entrepreneurship was about the idea and i think what i understand now <laughs> is the execution side is really where the the, the the money is and ideas big ideas can be force multipliers but i think that you know, I think I wrote this in a really old blog post talking about, uh, you know, the amount of ideas that you have to come up with. It's not just like one idea. It's like a thousand ideas of all the problems that you have to solve day to day in your business. And that can definitely be something that is a rude awakening for people that are, you know, maybe not used to entrepreneurship and working on their own. Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. Four cents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. SpaTree and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's 
SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. Something I've discovered uh, with the whole COVID thing, right? When you're an entrepreneur and you're running a business, you can basically work from wherever you want, right? You don't necessarily have to have an office. You can work from home. Um, and so when the whole COVID thing started, I'm like, oh, I can work from home. but you no problem. Eh, wrong answer. I have to go somewhere. I can't work at home. There's too many distractions, you know, um, especially I was, we were talking about, you know, the kiddo uh, doing her, her distance learning here. And, you know, here I am trying to be, you know, dad and uh, chief uh, education officer in the day and it just doesn't work uh, for me, right? And, and and some people can do it and some people can't. I know some of my colleagues, they, you know, they roll out of bed, jump in the shower, throw on a pair of basketball shorts and away they go and everything's great. No, I, for whatever reason, I have to go through that process of getting up in the morning, having breakfast, getting ready, putting on my clothes, getting in my car, driving to my office or our studio facility in order for me to feel like, okay, I'm really ready to go and prepped and that fire is lit underneath me because for me, that time in my vehicle as I'm driving is like, my reflection time for the day. I'm going over in my head like, all right, I got these meetings. I'm going to do these different things. And I think, you know, without that time, it's definitely challenging for me. I could not, I could not be an entrepreneur that ran my business from home. I couldn't do it. I'd have to have a co-working space or something to get started. <laughs> Some kind of buffer between yeah. personal and mm -hmm. work. And I, I think that's, that's super common. I actually had um, a contractor come in and uh, basically soundproof my home office because I do work from home. I used to have a big office, you know, a few thousand square foot with a studio, all that kind of stuff. Move my studio actually into my basement at home <laughs> and my and my home office, which you know sounds great, saves me five k a month in in office type stuff. But that immediate thing, right? Kiddos running around wrestling, all that kind of stuff. So I had a dude come in for a few thousand bucks and like spray like super dense foam all in, in in my interior walls put a super double thick solid core door in and, yep. and these are things you don't think about i did this before COVID hit and then when the kids <laughs> were like locked down and everybody's at home man it was like oh i'm thankful that i learned how to do that stuff yeah i did this i did the same know, thing because like i i uh i've been working in radio for over 20 years and so one of the first things i did in radio was i, I mixed records right actually you know techniques 1200 turntables and you know um that's why i turned my yeah. i turned my filter off because that's actually what's right behind me here because my home studio even though I, I don't like to work from home i'm home today working but um i have a full-blown studio as well you can't see it but the wall over here the whole wall over here is just covered in foam and i have one of those triple thick doors as well and uh because i like to get loud man i like to play hip-hop i like to play house music and you know i still spin you know a couple you know three times a week my neighbors probably hate me but uh <laughs> but that's that's like uh, that's my creative outlet you know and i think that's uh, another sure. part of being an entrepreneur too that you you've got to have you know, a balance between your work and your life and, you know, having some kind of a, a, an outlet, whether it be, you know, for me, it's music and karate, right? That's, those are my outlets outside of business. And um, I think those are important things to have. I think too, like, you know, something that they don't really teach in school it, that is so important for entrepreneurship and be, being a CEO is how do you, how are you strategic and how are you productive? I think a lot of school, it kind of teaches people how to think and it definitely gives them a lot of information and gives them some, you know, some, uh, some, some shoulders to stand on in terms of like where we've come as a society. But, you know, I'm thinking back to growing up and going through school and, you know, I, nobody ever sat down and said, here's how you, here's how you can be productive. If nobody's looking over your shoulder 
and you know telling you what to do like how do you decide what work you're going to do what work you're not going to do how do you maintain focus throughout the day and i think a lot of people when they went from an office environment to working at home it was like wait a minute nobody's watching me work right now and <laughs> right. you know how do i stay focused right like and that's it, it's 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 i think the last 20 years for me being an entrepreneur has a lot of why i've been able to be successful now versus 20 years ago is is a lot of it just comes down to some of those habits throughout the day of how I'm staying focused and how I'm staying energized around my core purpose, around my vision, around the products yeah. and services that we're, we're moving as a business. So Brent, let's kind of take a step back a little bit because I think it's important for uh, the, the listeners to have a little bit of context on, you know, where you came from and, and how you got where you are. Um, you know, we, we always like to hear, you know, what is that story of how you found your frequency in life and in business? And, and you actually had that, you know, like snap that aha moment where your brain just fired off and you're like, this is what I'm going to go do. Tell us that story. And I love the, the, the concept behind this show of finding your frequency, because I think we can all relate to those times in our life where mm. we're not in flow, where there's a lot of tension yeah. and there's a lot of almost like it seems like we're, we're, we're going against the grain, like nothing that we're doing is necessary. It doesn't feel easy or in alignment or we're in a situation where we're not really feeling like we're in the right place. And uh, I, I mean, I would say the first time that I really felt that was, was I mean, back in 1999, I was in the last year of my high school, uh, you know, uh, term and a friend of mine and I started, you know, we, I had been building websites, had never taken a dollar from it. I was working at like a, a fabric store for, for six seventy five an hour or whatever. And uh, I was, I was in the lunchroom and went up you to were, a friend of mine. You were making good knew. money at six seventy five and 99, man. <laughs> Woo! I graduated high school in 1998. And um, so similar funny thing. I was working at Arby's making like five something. I remember. <laughs> oh, so dude, I was oh, making yeah. like 20% more than you. So that's cool. I should have went into uh, fabrics. <laughs> so I, you know, I met a guy and we, we were, uh, I, I heard through the grapevine that he was doing some stuff with the web and uh, it was, you know, we were high schoolers. It was literally like came over to my house. We were, we were, uh, you know, two high school students and we decided to, you know, we could build a company together and we, uh, you know, we, we found our first client. We sold a website project for $500 and um, built a little two page e-commerce store. It took me a couple of days and like this light bulb went off in my head. I was like, wow, I just spent two days doing something that I really love doing. And I got paid 500 bucks for it, which nice. is a lot more than 675 an hour. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, well, maybe we should start a company and uh and do something together and in that business uh that we started and we actually kept it going through college um and and it was it was kind of you know to the concept of this show right finding your frequency i was doing what everybody else told me to do you know go to school get good grades go and get that degree and at the same time i had this business on the side that kind of kept pulling me back like when i was doing my work with building websites maintaining servers, building these online stores, doing, you know, partnership deals. And we actually, during that time, we found three different companies and it was like, I was in flow. Like I loved what I was doing. And then I'd go to school and I'd be, you know, yeah, yeah. learning about like chemistry or biology <laughs> or, you know, uh, calculus or whatever. And, you know, I just, it was like, it was always like, there, there was a lot of tension, a lot Looks of friction like you're around You're that. in class and you're thinking like, I could be making 500 bucks right now building a website. <laughs> <laughs> or, or more, right? right. We started selling websites for a lot more money than that, right? And so it was around in, in our last, my last year at CU, I was there from 2000, 2005. 
uh, we started getting some actually, like I would say, legit big opportunities. Like up until that point, I think a lot of my family or friends, like they, they knew that we were making some money and doing some work together. We we're building cool stuff. We were very entrepreneurial, but there wasn't what I'd call kind of real money in play. And so we got yeah. this big opportunity from an organization out in California uh, to come out and pitch a big website project. And it was, it was, it was a five figure deal. The company that ended up winning it actually, it was a six figure deal for them, but it was like this big moment where we were like, Hey, we can actually go do this thing and people are going to take us seriously. I mean, at the time we were, I was 23 years old, you know, was flown out to California, bought a brand new suit, which was a big mistake. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, and, you know, made a big conference room pitch, you know, executive directors are in this, this big meeting, you know, like multi-million dollar a year uh, organization out in California. Uh, I think they had a hundred million dollar a year budget and, you know, for the overall organization. And here we are in this room, like we are, we're in play. And so it was that uh, it was that pitch that we kind of said, look, you know what? We can go get jobs like all of our other friends, or we can take this business that we've been kind of doing for the last five years and we can go and try to do this and, and make a name for ourselves. And so we actually committed and and that's really where our agency went from a part-time thing to a full-time thing. So in 2005, we, we moved the business down to Denver and started to to build a, a business around this uh, this concept. I think it's very smart that you guys didn't bring your business up in California the overhead for some of those places in, in California is astronomical. Um, and so I always, you know, I'm not bashing California. It's a great place to go visit. I, I could never live there. The taxes are too high, but um, you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, I, you know, is always important, especially when you're starting up a business is like, you know, uh, getting the business, but also keeping that overhead low. So that way you can get into profitability. That's uh, I think there's a lot of companies, especially right now that are really reassessing their um, do I really need this office footprint kind of idea. <laughs> Oh, and, you know, and to say that we went full time and we had it figured out, I mean, in 2005, we actually, uh, my partner was was still in Texas. That's where we were both from. Uh, I was going to school in Colorado and, and he moved up. I had a, my parents actually owned the, 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 the condo that I was in. And so they were willing to let us stay there for, for on the cheap. And so he moved up to Colorado. You know, we kind of started the business. We moved down to Denver and speaking of overhead i mean we very quickly as the business took off we got into a lot of things that we thought were how how business was to be done right so we got the downtown office space we started hiring employees uh you know we decked out our our space we had this cool like two-tone paint and floorboards <laughs> and the big flat panel on the wall and the big conference table you know we had this our conference table cost over three thousand dollars right i mean that we were spending money on stuff like that and we maybe weren't managing the business. We had been we had been growing off of referral and word of mouth, which was great until until it wasn't. Until we weren't getting you know referrals in the moment that we needed them, and uh, and it was around 2007 2008 where we became super overextended. And you know we had uh, in order to, to to cut corners, we had instead of paying our tax withholdings, we had used that money to pay expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, we hadn't paid our rent in a few months. We hadn't paid our employees in, in a couple of months. Owed the IRS, I think over $135,000. I mean, again, downtown office space, all the traffic yeah. is a successful business, big team, big clients. But, you know, in the conference room between my partner and I, it was like, you know, this is, we've like gotten way over our heads. And, uh, and so we had to really make some hard decisions and decide, are we going to commit and really make this business work for us? Or are we just going to shut it down? And so, you know, that was kind of that $3 moment. I went into a Starbucks one day to to buy a cup of coffee. Every day I bought a venti 
you know, drip from Starbucks and it was, it's $3 and 13 cents that I literally am about to pay. And I catch myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I buy this coffee right now, you know, my bank's going to charge me $36 overdraft fee. Like I can't, I can't buy this coffee. And I was like, hey, can you guys switch it to a grande? $2.86, spent my last three bucks on, on, on the cup of coffee, went in the conference room with my partner. And I said, dude, we got we to gotta figure this out gotta and, shift, uh, and get yeah. out of this mess. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it's hard, right? Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, along that timeline that you guys are on, you know, the, the you know, 99s through the 2005, you also had the dot-com bomb era that happened at that time uh, with a lot of businesses that were doing online stuff that were, you know, going away. I, re I remember, you know, AOL was so huge in the space. And then the, you know, that was when they started the whole battle of AOL versus Yahoo for patent IP strategies. My company got caught in the middle of that um, for the same reason. Like when we, when we launched voiceamerica.com in 1999, we were the only, online internet talk radio operation in the world the only other thing that was doing streaming audio was uh uh was aol's boombox radio service which was a, the first music service that was online and aol sued us because they thought that we were in patent infringement of something that they had created and you know uh, i think i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that drug on for a long time i was still going back and forth to palo alto uh for for court cases i think the last time i had to go was 2009 uh so finally about 2010 we finally got rid of that stuff but my question in, in bringing that up is as you're dealing with all of your own uh, decision-making processes and and understanding that you needed to, de to reduce the revenue, did the dot-com bomb start to affect you guys in that space as well? Uh, you know, I guess my perspective on some of those macro forces, right? There's the, 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 the dot-com like bubble crash. There's the 2008 recession. Now we've got covid that's going on and i think there is there are some industries that are definitely hit with that i mean i think over the last couple over the last 10 years i've talked to a lot of agencies uh, digital marketing agencies and stuff like that for our our podcast and our youtube channels and things yeah. like that and there are some that you know we're tied to venture capital or we're tied to the stock market that definitely experienced like crazy, yeah. you know, people just giving out money and then all of a sudden there was no money, right? I there think was that like, was our biggest problem was, is we were a publicly traded company at that time. So it was just like, you know, AOL's going, ooh, hey, hey, hey let me go take your stocks. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you got those types of battles. I, I think for most small businesses, by and large though, a lot of, I, I guess I kind of try to take a lot more of the responsibility for the ups and downs, you know, kind of on our shoulders of like, what are we doing to build a successful business in, in any time, right? Um, and I think that while there are those macroeconomic factors at play, uh, you know, a lot of small businesses or kind of, I call micro businesses under a million bucks a year, you know, kind of use those circumstances um, for validation of why they're having it problems when uh, when really they could be doing some things more strategic and better uh, in those times. And actually for us, we, uh, you know, that moment where I had three bucks in my bank account, you know, that was right in, you know, on the backside of a recession, right? I mean, yes, yeah. maybe that had affected us, but at the same time, we were, and this goes back to earlier in the interview, like I was into the tech soup, right? I, I still can't believe you got a coffee business. at Starbucks for $2 and some change. I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> right, that's, that's, I mean, look, I, I drink my coffee black, so I don't, I don't drink the fancy drinks, right, that are yeah. five or six bucks. But, but um, you know, I was really good at 
the the work, but I wasn't great at running a business. And I wasn't, and this is like, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, like kind of the, the technician, uh, like if you've read the book, The E-Myth, right? The technician in the business that knows how to bake the pies, but doesn't actually know how to market, sell, build delivery systems, finance, leadership, culture. And so I had really avoided those things. And I had become the bottleneck in my agency where I had to touch everything. Every phone call had to run through me. Uh, Every client opportunity had to run through me. We had no strategy. We had no niche. We weren't known for anything except for, you know, these guys can deliver what they say they can deliver, which is great, but it's not, we weren't positioned as an authority Mm -hmm. in a market. And so for us to go out there and just say, hey, we want to sign up new clients like tomorrow, you know, we didn't have an email list. We didn't have uh, a network of partners. We didn't, we weren't paying for advertising, right? We weren't going out there and sharing our knowledge. We just were surviving on referrals and word of mouth. And, you know, at some point that stopped, you know, it, it wasn't scaling with us. And so in that conference room that day, we said, you know what, I think we need to change our mindset about how we're running our business. Instead of focusing on how to build better product, better widgets, I think we should think about and learn from some people how to actually grow our business. I'd met a guy, uh, he was actually the, the husband of one of our clients. Uh, his name's Joe. And you know, we had gone to a book launch party and Joe had said to me, he said, hey dude, if you ever need help with your business, uh, you know, come reach out to me. And I, you know, at the time, probably a little bit of the 25, 26 year old ego. Yeah. I'm like, I help with my business, you know, like I, I got this, right? And I had this like, I got this attitude where I was trying to run my business as an island. And when, when you finally kind of hit rock bottom and you got three bucks and you, you're you overextended like crazy, like I, my, my business part of the time was like, hey dude, maybe we should call Joe. And I was like, maybe we should call Joe. And, you know, and it was, that was like that one moment where we started to say, you know what, maybe we should learn from some people that have already been there and done that. Maybe we should stop thinking that we got this and that we can run our business you know, through trial and error. Maybe we should actually take some advice. Yeah. And and it was it was that was like that first step. And and then we started to hire some consultants and some coaches and started to invest in ourselves and treat ourselves as our most important asset in our business. And we doubled our business that next year. And the next year we doubled again. And we doubled again. Then we became one of the fastest growing companies in Denver, Colorado, one year, then two years. We became one of the top 25 uh, agencies in Colorado five years in a row, right? And it was that learning from other people that instead of learning from our own mistakes through trial and error, we started learning from other people's mistakes. And that's where we started (laughs) to really accelerate. You guys have to check out this new service that I'm playing around with called Issue. It is totally amazing. You live to create, but you don't live to worry over the last nitpicky details involved in putting final touches on contact. You got to do what you do best and let Issue handle the rest. If you're a creative, you know the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need format and reformat for every single platform. With Issue, make it once and it's ready to post everywhere. Seriously, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines and sales collateral. It's perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or just anyone that wants to make eye-catching content that can be distributed on multiple platforms. Issue makes it really simple. 
Just upload the PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. With Issue, you just create it one time and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website, social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. And the best part about it, it is free. F-R-E-E free. That's right. It's free to get started with Issue. So go to issue.info slash frequency to sign up for your free account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from this show, Finding Your Frequency. Remember, that's dot info, not dot com, dot info. So go to I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency and get your free account today. If a brand new entrepreneur who's listening to the show, right, listens to what you just said, they can go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I am a really good, uh, I can code fantastically. I, I understand the Google algorithm. I understand those components of, you know, delivering something for uh, a person, but I don't understand the business side. Maybe before I go start buying office space and some of these other things, maybe I should have a coach or a mentor uh, because I, I, I I'm ardently agree with the fact that a little bit of advice from somebody who's already been there goes a long way for somebody who hasn't been, you know. I, I was just on the phone with, uh, with a client who was struggling to charge more for what they were delivering. And, you know, I love that you're talking about, you know, code, SEO, right? I mean, these types of things are things that we as, you know, agency owners, web pros, you know, marketers, we care about that stuff. Most of our clients spend, mm, I'm going to give 1% as a generous amount of their day thinking about these types of things. And this was a wake up call for me. Like when I would go into meetings, I would show the stuff I cared about. I'd show the demo of the platform, I'd show all the analytics and I'd geek out on stuff like that. And occasionally you get the client that like likes to kind of geek out on that stuff too. Uh, but you have to realize that they spend 99% of their day, 99.9% of their day thinking about other stuff, other <laughs> problems, other business goals, priorities, life issues, life problems, right? And when I started to talk a lot less about things that I cared about, and I started talking a lot more about things my clients cared about. I mean, just that shift yeah. made a huge difference. And in uh, one of my clients, he was going in there. He's like, I can't understand why these guys, <laughs> my clients won't pay me more than four or 500 bucks a month for these services. And I was like, well, give me your pitch. And it was, you know, we're going to help you with your organic social and this many posts per week and SEO and this ranking and that, right? It was all stuff that he knew that he had to do. It was the stuff that he was going to do day in, day out. But I'm like, what do your clients care about? Well, they care about leads and clients. Okay. So your pitch should be all <laughs> about leads and clients. That, right? It should be, you know, all about how much a customer is worth to this business. And here's our strategy to help you find more leads and clients, right? And here's how we're gonna help you monetize them. And it was like you could just see in his eyes, he started saying, he's going, Well, you know, if I did that, I can't charge four or five hundred bucks a month. I I'm gonna for them to for me to deliver that, I'm gonna have to charge three thousand bucks a month. And I'm like, okay. Like, you so know, let's do now that. We see how you make that jump. Yeah, let's, yeah, do, let's that, do that. Right? Do that. No, and I think you're 100% correct. And I've gone through that my my own self, just kind of, you know, I'm the vice president of operations for Voice America. And, you know, I manage all things technical. But then when I go sit down with our executive producer team, who are, you know, our, our folks who are out there finding talent and, you know, advertising dollars and all those kind of things for radio, it's like, you know, they, 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 they don't care when I'm like, 
guys, we got a number one ranking on Google for, you know, live internet talk radio or whatever the case may be. And their answer to me is, okay, how does that make us money? You know? And so, you know, you, you got to, this is a great question. Right. And you, and you got to understand your audience when you're having those conversations with people in any kind of a business scenario, um, like you're mentioning, you know, what, what does the, what does the person want? You know, like for our business, for instance, we have people that do radio shows and podcasts and we got, you know, some people are doing it for strict, uh, you know, brand awareness, thought leadership, those types of things. And they don't care about getting sponsors and advertisers. They care about specifically delivering information in an audio based medium for, um, you know, to, to set themselves apart from their competition as thought leaders in a certain space. And then there's, you know, other people, you know, the, the, the woman who owns a yoga studio who, uh, wants to teach people about yoga and all this kind of stuff. And she just wants to get more people to come into her door. She doesn't care about sponsors or advertisers and then you get the other side of the people they're like if i do a podcast i can make money right i can i can i can i can just jump on there i can get hundreds of thousands of downloads and listeners and i can just make money and this could be my job and i'm like that's a great goal but do you know there's 975,000 podcasts out there in the space and if you go to apple itunes they only show you around 200 of the ones that they care about and if you want to find anything else you got to know what you're looking for or sit there and do a big search around it and you know uh getting some people to kind of realize and take a step back that you know hey i understand what your goals are but let's uh shift directions and and see you know what exact what is it exactly that you want to accomplish because all i'm hearing now is you think that you just want to make money so okay well let's 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 go down another path of how you could possibly make money that you know might be a little bit different than you know the if you build it they will come because you know as a marketer you know that is not how stuff works nowadays it's not if i build a website people will come to it it's if i build a website i market it um i find great partners uh you know all of those elements uh have to come together you know uh kind of like a recipe in order to you know make something new successful uh and so that's definitely a challenge and then you, you end up with uh you end up with rejection right people people get rejected in those in those spaces and and you know you got to figure out a way to 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 make it positive and and make it profitable tell us about that so I love the build it and they will come phrase. <laughs> uh, I've helped a lot of people that are in uh, the agency space and, and also these same concepts would be, it'd be the same recipe that I would uh, give to any business, whether it's in the agency space or outside the agency space around how to you know choose a market that you're going to serve, be strategic and thoughtful about that market. And I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, if I, you know, if I have a website, and I'm just going to give you an example, uh, if I have a website and I'm saying like, hey, we do, we build websites, right? Like, great, contact us, right? Uh, and if I just change that to, we build websites for nonprofits, that all of a sudden, you know, the uh, the market will just find us, right? And, and I did this, like my 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 business partner and I, we were struggling with our business around the same time. We we're like, you know, everybody tells us that we should choose a niche. And we were at a, a Wendy's having, you know, some uh, some dollar menu favorites. And we were sitting there at the table and we were like, you know, we've got some nonprofit clients that we've been successful with. So let's let's build, instead of just saying we do websites for anybody, let's build websites for, for nonprofits. And so we got all excited about it. We're like, oh, wow, we've just chosen a niche. We've, we've made this big decision. We're gonna, we're gonna niche to nonprofits, right? And so we go home back to the office and we change our, our website homepage, literally from we make great websites to we make great websites for nonprofits. And then we like <laughs> hit publish and 
sat back we're like oh all right what the now the here, here they come here they come here they come right <laughs> and uh you know the the reality was that the phone actually started to ring less because for the, the the prior several years we had been out there promoting ourselves that we built websites for a lot of different types of businesses and so we had built up some awareness in the marketplace it's through google through some directory listings, you know, we had been out there, like we had been talking about our business, like we had some traffic. Well, now all of a sudden overnight, you get all this traffic coming to our website and now 90% of it is like, oh, these guys don't build websites for us. They build websites for nonprofits. Like they don't, they obviously don't, can't help us. So, so the leads that we were getting dried up overnight. And we started getting, you know, yes, a couple of nonprofits that have reached out to us were like, oh, great. It looks like you just work with nonprofits. We're like, yeah. So it did make sales easier uh, within that market, but we didn't do anything outside of that. We thought that updating our homepage was enough. And I think what I've, what I've come to realize now, I call it the gigging philosophy of, you know, if you're going to really build your business in a market, you can't just define the market, but you have to actually go out yeah. there and build awareness in that market. Um, you know, I give give the example of, of the Beatles, right? If the Beatles had just played in their garage day after day, week after week, nobody would ever have known who they were. Like maybe they would have gotten some fans that were coming over some for some garage sessions yeah, the or neighbors. walking by yeah. and, and hearing <laughs> them, right? But but not only would they have not attracted anybody, but they actually wouldn't have refined their sound very well either. Uh, versus what they actually did was they went out and they gigged seven nights a week, sometimes three times a night uh, in Liverpool and Manchester. And they gigged for a couple of years before they came to the United States. They went to every bar, club, venue that would have them that already had people. And now after a couple of years of that, you know, could they go and fill a big, you know, could they fill their own stadium? Absolutely, right? But it took a lot of gigging in order yes, to make that happen. And so that was like, the aha moment for us was like, wow, we can't just build it and they will come. We can't just update our tagline and then hope that the world will respond. Like we got to get our butts out there and we got to face rejection. I mean, how many, how many times did they as a band go sit in front of a club owner and play a song where the club owner, maybe in their early days, cut them off after like seven seconds. Like we've seen that scene in movies before, right? Yeah, yeah. Where they go on to do the tryouts and the and they're playing, they're jamming or whatever. And the, the, uh, the sorry, the mate. Yeah, yeah. The, no, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop. <laughs> you know. And, and, and that's that's a valuable experience to get shut down, yeah. to get rejected, because now you're learning something about the marketplace. Uh, and so I actually look at something like rejection, especially when we're going out into our market and gigging, every time you get turned down by an influencer, by a podcast host, by a stage, by a blog or publisher for your content and ideas, like, they, yes, they are rejecting you and that kind of stinks, <laughs> but you're learning what does, you know, okay, cool, this idea that I had about the market, maybe they don't think of it like I do. Maybe I do need to think about how how my market thinks about something. And maybe I do need to update my sound a little bit in order to get it accepted, right? And then what happens is, is you get that, you know, kind of like the Beatles, right? They probably got a, a small club owner that needed to fill space, needed to fill time, <laughs> right? They needed some band, right? Some guitar to stand up in front of their, their group to open, right? They needed somebody. And maybe that club owner was in a pinch and they put them up in front of the audience and they got their first break, right? They got a room of 50 or 100 people to listen to them and maybe people kind of jammed along. And then that first break turned into a second and third and then it gets easier over time, right? But that rejection is such an important part of entrepreneurship. Like 
if you think that you can go out there and pitch your idea once and have people just signing up to give you money, I mean, it's just, that's just not how it works, right? I mean, the first time I went and got on a podcast, I had a list of 76 hosts and I pitched my, I, my, my business 76 times before I got the first one to say yes. So I got 75 no's, you know, and I probably followed up with each of them two or three times. And, you know, it was a lot of no before one person said, hey, dude, we'll have you on the show. And it was probably because he was behind in his content and, you know, needed somebody there. I don't know what its reasons were, right? <laughs> needed a warm body in the seat. And, you know, I got one person to trust me. And, uh, and, and that's, and then, and, but then it gets easier, right? I mean, that's the only thing I can tell people is, hey, you know, and get, aim for rejection. Get as much rejection as you can in the early days yeah. because it's going to help you refine that, that sound. Hey everybody, I wanted to tell you about this great shaving product that I've been using lately. Not only is it awesome, it will save you money. Enough to buy 26 cups of coffee in New York City or three deep dish pizza dinners in Chicago. Harry's is an awesome product. It delivers high quality razor blades as low as $2 each, a fraction of the price of leading brands and saving you hundreds of dollars at the same time. I really like the way that Harry's works. It has a very close shave. It's got a great design for the handle and also the scent of the shave gel is fantastic and it leaves your skin nice and smooth. You can get a trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just two bucks a blade. They've cut out middlemen manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. I'm telling you, I use this product and it is absolutely amazing. Harry's has all your grooming needs covered in just one stop. You can get blades, hair care, shower products, all on harrys.com. And just like their blades, Harry is committed to providing premium products without breaking the bank. Again, visit harrys.com forward slash frequency. I want to make sure that everybody gets the chance to go check it out. You can feel better too about the purchase because 1% of their proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations developed to helping provide access to better mental health care for men and veterans. How could you not get behind the veterans? So important nowadays. Listeners of the show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. I use it every day. Rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated. And I'm telling you, when you get done shaving, your face will feel so smooth. It's amazing. You even get a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go. So make sure you go to harrys.com dot com forward slash frequency to start shaving and saving today you know we have uh i, I love when, i love you brought up the gig thing if it wasn't if it wasn't for gigging i wouldn't have ended up in radio right it was my persistence of like dude i'm making mixtapes you know i'm handing them out uh you know and then it turned into mixed cds a little bit later on and you know then I, I had gotten home from the military and i'm like all right what am i gonna do with my life i don't know well the only thing i know i'm really good at is like play records so uh, you know, so then I started dropping off demos at radio stations, demos at radio stations, getting rejected over and over and over again. And it was that, you know, rejection that finally led to someone was like, you know, I kind of like your idea for this electronic music radio show, right? Because electronic music was still kind of in, a, in its infancy at that time. And, um, you know, people were still raving in underground warehouses and, you know, not in the mainstream kind of club scene that you have now. And, you know, it was like wait a minute, you know what? Why don't you come in on Thursdays from 10 to 1 a.m. and do a three-hour show. We'll give you a shot for four weeks. Let's see how it goes. And uh, that that show was on air for five years. 
and it was just you know the the opening and and and, and had to go through those you know those rejections to get to that and I, I talked to our salespeople internally too about this exact idea because you know they they sometimes come to us and they're like oh I'm frustrated you know I keep getting the no's and I said well if you don't get no you're never going to appreciate the yes number one. And number two, you have to get through the no's to get to the yeses, right? And I'm like, when you're looking at your lead list and you're running through those leads and you're trying to call prospective customers and they tell you no, you should be excited that they tell you no because that now allows you that you know that you can move on to something else because the next one might be a yes. So it's like you have to you have to swim through a sea of no's in order to get to the tropical island of yes. And you know what? And I love, I love even you bringing up this, the, the, the getting a no, right? I mean, and a lot of people, and I think I can maybe help your listeners understand a lot of us actually think that rejection is, uh, is, is more than it is. Right. And let me give you an example. So, so there, there's no, like somebody saying to you, no, we do not want to hire your company. Right. Yep. That actually gives you that, that, that no, a lot of times in sales, and the same goes for marketing activities, is that a lot more of the rejection is is actually, um, it's not that clear, right? It might just <laughs> simply be no response. And a lot of people take no response as rejection. And this is something that I talk about uh, in, in my, my book about how, you know, no response um, is not actually rejection, right? It, it's not, there's no new information. Uh, when somebody does not get back to you, it does not mean that they're rejecting you. It just simply means they're not responding to you. But a lot of people take it as rejection, right? I talk to people, they're like, you know, I'll say, oh, hey, what have you done to build awareness? Well, I reached out to a bunch of blogs two months ago and I haven't heard back from anybody. I'm like, okay. Uh, so two months ago, you sent 10 emails and you didn't hear back from anybody. Did you follow up with them? Uh, no, I just, I don't want to bother them. It's like, well, okay, let me tell you a little fact, right? Most people, it, they, they, they get a yes or they get an engagement or a conversation, sometimes on it takes as many as 12 or 13 outreach attempts uh, on average to get to kind of that perfect percentage of the amount of people that you're gonna actually connect with. So it means you have to reach out to somebody 13 different times you know, before you really wanna close the book that they're actually not responding to you. Uh, like at that point, I might take it as a real no, but even still like I'm pretty, I've got some pretty hard armor around this. Like I, even at that point, if somebody hasn't reached back yeah. out to me after 14 times, like unless I have new information and new information would be them responding with, hey dude, I'm just too busy right now. Um, you know, follow up with me in six months. That's like a no, but later, maybe, right? Uh, no, you know, a, a real no would be, hey, I followed up with them 10 times and they've come back to me and said, uh, hey, dude, if you send me another email, right, I'm going to call the police. Right? I'm, I'm just kidding, right? Um, but, yeah, you but, know, that, but that, 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 that's a no. That happens in sales, though, right? I mean, that, like you get to somebody and, and, and it's so funny that you bring that concept up because it, it, you're 100% correct. But it's, sometimes it's like maybe I need to reach out to them a different way. Right. You know, you're doing email marketing. Okay. Well, I've sent out 475 emails. I've gotten zero response. Okay. Well, email is not working. You know what? I'm going old school. I'm actually going to pick up the phone and call somebody. Imagine that old school way, right? It's not a cold call. You already know who I am. I've sent you an email. I know that you read it because my analytics software told me that you opened and you clicked and you looked at stuff. So you know who we are, 
<laughs> uh, and so I think that's another thing when you when you talk about those uh, those those no's and, and weeding through those and and those numbers of touches. Sometimes sometimes people just need to be touched in a different manner. You know, oh maybe I need to send you a Facebook message or you know connect on LinkedIn versus sending emails. I mean, there's all of those different ways. And I think, but until you've exhausted all of those components, you know, that that's when you really have a hard no, right? There's two concepts that I think is, is good for your, your listeners to understand when it comes to this type of outreach. Uh, is, is, is multi-touch. We talked about that, right? Yep. Have multiple interactions, multiple attempts. Uh, the other is multi-channel. So multi-touch, multi-channel. So you should design any persistence routine. And a persistence routine is just the series of steps that you're going to take uh, to be persistent, to be politely persistent. Uh, one of my mentors, he, he kind of taught me how to be the velvet hammer, right? You don't want to offend people. You don't want to, uh, you know, make them upset with you. You want, but you want to be that velvet hammer that's just kind of tapping nicely. And the, the more you can do that in a multi-touch, multi-channel way uh, and, and be authentic and genuine, right? Uh, a lot of us get emails, right? from somebody who's trying to break through and it's just email, 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 email. And the second you add one channel, like you reach out to somebody on uh, on Facebook Messenger, you reach out to somebody on a, a, a phone call, right? You reach out to somebody with a letter, you, you send a, a package or a gift to somebody that's not like your branded materials, but like a true gift where you saw something they're interested on social media and you sent them, you know, let's say they're into Star Wars and you sent them a limited edition, you know, signed autograph poster from George Lucas, right? Like, would that get somebody's attention? 100%, right? Would they take your call after that? Yes. Would it cost you a hundred bucks? Yes. But if you're trying to sign $10,000 clients, $100,000 clients, like, What's you know, like bucks? you can... <laughs> Yeah, what's a $100 poster you bought off of eBay, right? Not a huge deal, right? Of course you had to um, use so the we'll Star do- Wars analogy on me, the biggest Star Wars geek on the planet. Okay, I didn't know if you were going to say Star Wars or Star Trek. I was like, oh gosh, we're oh. about to go down or, no, no. or we'll celebrate, right? <laughs> but but that's like, um, you know, I mean, a lot of us are, and I do a lot of this coaching with agency owners where we look at um, how much it costs to earn a customer. And there's, really outsized expectations in the marketplace. Like people think that because they've gotten clients that are worth 10,000 or 20,000 or even $100,000 through referral and word of mouth, and they and, and that doesn't necessarily cost anything, that when it comes to building a marketing engine where you're gonna attract six-figure clients kind of on demand, that you know we shouldn't be investing anything, right? And I go, you know what? I mean, I personally am willing to spend probably up to 10% of what a client is worth on that kind of marketing investment. And, and so think outside the box. Um, and when it comes to trying to get awareness, trying to get people's attention, um, but there's also simple things that you can do. Um, I had a guy that I was trying to get in front of for a long time, big influencer in our space, and he would not respond to my emails. And I have a bunch of different, very specific email scripts that that do work, that I send kind of over time. And finally, I was like, after a bunch of attempts, I mean, we're now into the 20s, right? Uh, of t- attempts of, of reaching out. And I would actually get him replying to some stuff, but it was always a no later. It was like, hey, dude, I'm really busy. I'm traveling, that kind of stuff, right? So it was like mm-hmm. for six months, I'm just like getting kind of pushed down. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send him like a funny cat animated meme gif <laughs> once a week. It's just going to be the the gif and no email, like, no text to the email. He's just getting a gif once a week. 
And I don't even know why I thought about that, right? So I just started sending him, you know, it was like after the third like GIF, right? He finally responds. He's like, all right, dude, here's my scheduler. Book a call with me. Let's let's have a conversation. This is <laughs> the most interesting email thread I've ever been on. And uh, and so sometimes it's just that like kind of saying, you know what? Like there are no rules, you know, to business. I mean, I think we have to lead with integrity and and, and authenticity yeah. and being genuine and, you know, have some good humility when we're going into these situations. But, you know, people ask me a lot, like how many times should I reach out to somebody? What's the email script? And, you know, I can give you a starting point. I can say, look, here's what this could look like. But you have to also recognize, like, I'm successful with this because I, I don't have rules. Like I have some 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 frameworks and some ideologies of what helps me work, what works better over time, but there really aren't any hard and fast rules when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and I, I love that you you speak about there not being any rules, but you know, not having any rules allows uh, a business owner, a marketer, a salesperson, you know, to be creative in the space like you were with your, you know, with the funny cat gifts. Like you're like, all right, well, I'm just gonna go shoot from the hip here and start sending out some something that uh, is is a little obscure and different, and it worked. You know, and you gotta think one more outside example, the box. If, if you don't mind me me sharing, right? No, you please just, do. You just jogged my memory of, of one of my <laughs> clients, and we were. We were doing the same thing of trying to come up with ideas and how to get him in front of these these businesses in his market. And in uh, one time, he had sent somebody a pinata <laughs> as a joke because they had, you know, something had come up in one of their early conversations. And he sent them a pinata and he got a call back. And he, he totally didn't even tell me about this. When we were game planning, like how he were going to get him momentum in his market. He's like, and it was like, oh, by the way, yeah, this one time I sent this guy a pinata. And I was like, tell me more about that. And yeah. he's like, wow, he sent up a pinata. And I'm like, did he call you? He's like, oh, yeah, they called me. Did they sign up as a client? Oh, yeah, they signed us up as a client. So we built him a marketing engine. It was a whole system of <laughs> different touches, different persistent touches, right? They start off with email and voicemail. And then, like, per, number seven was they would send a pinata and they'd get, a, you know, and it was like so this big pinata. It was super awkward to show up at these people's offices and stuff like that. And so like <laughs> systematizing, I mean, there is opportunities to systematize that. So if you think your idea is crazy, just realize that some people are sending people pinatas. And so you cannot get, you know, as long as it's legal and ethical and moral, yeah. uh, I think that you, you can't get too crazy with this. Kind of stuff. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me that you guys named the software solution, the pinata. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, but uh, no, it was it was just we. Well, he actually, and, and then um, you know, I don't know what ended up happening with this in particular, but the company that made the pinatas, he actually, uh, uh, I think, became like a partner in that company, and they started to use it as a, a mailed uh, a business service for people to mail pinatas as a way to grab attention. So, I mean, you can take these things obviously super far. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, hey, let's talk about your book just a little bit. I know that uh, that's something that you've been working really hard on the. Uh, get rich in the deep end uh tell us tell us about the book and 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 tell us you know some of the you know high touch points that are in there and 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 what people can learn by reading it yeah and i i super appreciate you uh sharing that with your audience the book yeah it's called get rich in the deep end um i teach my 5a framework to owning your market and uh and becoming a successful business within a niche now the book covers 
uh, specifically, it's really built for digital agency owners and entrepreneurs. There are a lot of applications for the same 5A concept within a lot of different markets out there. So if you are a business that's looking to audaciously scale in a niche, this book is going to walk you through those key 5As, which are going to walk you through choosing the right audience, building awareness in that uh, in that market, uh, attracting the right customers to your business. So you're attracting, you know, not the the customers that are outside kind of your sweet spot. We want to attract those customers that are going to be high profits, uh, high leverage for you as a, as a business owner. We're going to help you become the top authority in that niche and also build systems and processes for acquiring leads and customers. So kind of some of those brass tacks, marketing and sales systems in there. And, and one of the interesting things I did with this book was we actually follow, we kind of created a, a character, Heather, who's kind of a, uh, a combination of a few of my clients. And we follow Heather's journey uh, through her experience of going from a generalist business where anybody can be my clients to really a focused specialist where they own their niche and they're all in within their niche market. And, uh, and, and so it's kind of a cool story just kind of walking you through and seeing what a business goes through when they're niching. Because a lot of people have fears around this whole concept of niching and how to become an expert or authority. And so I think I tried to really create some of that behind the scenes um, look at that process. Oh, that's awesome. So I implore all you guys that are listening to the radio show. Um, you know, if you're if you're a, a business strategist, a marketing person, and really want to get some insights that Brent has for you, go check out that Get Rich in the Deep End book. Uh, and I'm sure you can find it where? All over Amazon, uh, all the places books are sold? Yeah, definitely check it out on Amazon. Uh, we do have a website, ownyourmarket.com. You can check it out. Um, we've got some additional bonuses and, and things like that on our site. And you can also read up on it and, and find the links out to where to purchase that, um, just at ownyourmarket.com. That's awesome. So any other contact information you want to give out? We're uh, getting towards the end of the show here. And I always want to make sure that I allow our guests opportunity to, you know, give out their information. So if a listener wants to reach out to them directly and, you know, if they're listening to the show and they're like, I need to hire Brent, I need him. His, the show was amazing. He hit all the pain points that my company has. Like, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on all the major social media platforms, but uh, probably the, be the best and most direct way to reach me is through email, brent at yougurus.com. That's U-G-U-R-U-S.com. So just drop me an email if you want to connect with me directly or on any of the major social media platforms or obviously the book website as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Brent, I really appreciate you jumping on and all of you listeners who have been listening to the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. And whether you're listening on voiceamerica.com or you're listening on your favorite podcatcher, that's what I call them, Brent, podcatchers, because there's like so many different places that podcasts reside now. So I'm not even trying to attempt to, you know, talk about one specific one. So wherever you listen to your podcast, hey, rate us five stars instead of four, because I think Brent and I deserve it. Five stars are better than four anyways. I think we're five star human beings. And I want to appreciate everybody for uh, tuning into the radio show today uh, and make sure you guys come back and listen we're live every friday at noon pacific time right here on voiceamerica.com the variety channel uh and you know what make sure you guys stay safe out there and keep making creating and doing fantastic things <laughs>